0: But here we are today, we're celebrating the birth of Christ. Today we celebrate, but you know what's really interesting? You know, we, for, for many believers, in fact, many, we know that this isn't the actual day Jesus was born, right? the 25th of December. We know this isn't the actual day that Jesus was born. In fact, nobody actually knows the actual date. But nevertheless, the birth of who we celebrate. Is worth celebrating, isn't it? The birth of Jesus. We said we remember this day. It may not be the day he was born, but it's still worth celebrating. So where did we get this, this birthday? Where did the 25th of December come from? Did it did we just kind of make it up or or whatever? We're just looking for a day to cling on to. And if and if you um if you go to the internet and You you be put in the date of where did Christians get the 25th of December, you might get something that springs up on your screen that says, oh, it was a pagan idea and Christians kind of stole the ideas from the pagans. The pagans had this 25th of December 1st and they, and they stole it from the pagans and it's this pagan, it's this kind of pagan holiday that Christians kind of stole. But you know what? That's not actually true. It's not actually true whatsoever. In fact, it's the other way around. When you look at history, when you dig into history, when you, when you look of, 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 of where did this all come from, you, we begin to learn that actually it was, that it was the other way around. It was, in fact, Emperor, what's the Emperor's name? Emperor Aurelian. He instituted in the year 274 that 25th of December will be the day where they celebrate the birth of the unconquered sun. The sun, meaning the sun in the air. And he still, why did he do that? One, he was trying to hold his kingdom together because the the the, uh, the the great Roman emperor was about to crumble, and he's trying to pull them together. But also, it was, it was his way to stem the tide of all the Roman citizens becoming Christians. And so he took this idea that the Christians had that Jesus was born on the twenty-fifth of December, and he took it and he, and he and he said, you know what? We're gonna use, this. we're gonna celebrate, we're gonna take it as our own, and we began to celebrate it. But it still kind of begs the, the fact. Where does the 25th of December come from? If the early Christians remembered and remembered Jesus' birth on the 25th of December, at least 70 years before the pagans took it and started to create their own little holiday, their own little celebration. In fact, it's really interesting. There was no ever, there was no recorded history of any other kind of celebration on the 25th of December, not until this Roman emperor back in 274 just made it up. He just stole the idea from the Christians. So where did the Christians get this idea from? you ever wondered? Well, it's, re- it's really fascinating. The Jewish, they, they adopted, an, an, uh, sorry, the, the early Christians adopted an ancient Jewish um, tradition that said that a prophet's death was connected to the day that they were conceived. So when a prophet died, according to uh, ancient Jewish belief, is that when a prophet died, that it was also the same day that they were conceived on. So the early Christians, they kind of took this there and they worked out. In fact, the Western Christians, they worked out that Jesus' crucifixion happened on the 25th of March. This is what they worked out, the 25th of March. And which means you add, therefore, if Jesus died on the 25th of March, therefore he was conceived on that very same day. And if you add nine months to the 25th of March, what do we get? December 25th. And this is where we get this day and it's just a it was this an idea what's really interesting is that the Eastern Church the Eastern Church had a different idea they calculated that Jesus died on the 6th of April. So according to the Eastern Orthodox Church they celebrate Jesus birth on the 6th of January. 6th of January because it was based upon April 6th when they calculated. So this is where the, these dates come from. So what day was Jesus born? What day was he actually born? Well, the date doesn't actually matter. But what really matters is who we celebrate, and that's Jesus. Why do we celebrate Jesus? Because he brought joy to the world. And it wasn't that Christians stole the ideas from pagans. It was the other way around. They stole it from us. But anyway, this is where we kind of, as we begin to get into this this Christmas story, where do we get this 25th of December from? This is where it comes from. But how many of us like to control outcomes? How many of us like to control outcomes? I, I kinda spoke a couple of weeks about the trap of arrogance and how we like to control outcomes and, and we can find ourselves in, in in hot water when we begin to. We think we can control outcomes, but we really can't. In fact, some of us we think, well, I don't need anyone else. I don't need anyone else. All I all I need is just me. In fact, the only three people I need is me, myself, and I. That's all I need. Because the last time I trusted someone, they let me down. Anybody ever been let down by somebody before? Somebody that you trusted, somebody that you that you thought that um, that they'll have your back, but they weren't there for you. And so you're like, "Well, I don't need anyone else. I've got it covered." Because you can't. Because you. uh, For many of us, we don't want to be. uh, You know, ever felt like that? They're going to let me down. So you know what? I don't want to ever be in that place. I don't want to be vulnerable anymore. Therefore, I'm not going to let anyone in. Now the problem with that is that we, we find ourselves isolated. Or maybe, or maybe you pray to pray that, that God, God may, may uh, come f- uh, through for me, but God doesn't come through. And because of that, you don't trust not even God. Because you say, "Well, God, you, you promised to come through for me," but God never made those kind of promises. You don't, isn't it kind of interesting? We kind of make ultimatums. You even make an ultimatum with God. God, if you bring this healing, I'll follow you. God, God, if God, if, if you do this for me, I'll start going to church on Sunday. God, and maybe you stop going to church because because God never answered these prayers, which is kind of strange because God actually never made any of these promises. We just kind of made a little ultimatums. And, 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 but here's here's the thing: Why do we worship God? Why do we celebrate Christmas? And it's really interesting. When we get into the Christmas story, there was another man in the Bible who thought he could control outcomes. And before we get into the Christmas story, you know, quite often when we think of the Christmas story, we think of this picture. And it's this picture of, of Mary and Joseph. And you've got, the, you've got the, what do we see in this picture? You've got, you've got the, um, uh, the shepherds there. But who else is in this picture? You've got the wise men, which is really, really interesting because, because and also here's another thing. How many wise men were there? Right? There was three, because in this picture there's three. Why were there three wise men? Well, there's three gifts. There must have been three wise men. What's really interesting is that, that when we read the biblical narrative about the Christmas story about when Jesus was born, the wise men weren't there. The wise men weren't at the birth of Jesus. And the Bible doesn't tell us that there was only three wise men. It tells us there were three gifts, but it doesn't tell us that there were three wise men. We just kind of assume these things. And, and we see this picture, and there's you got, you got Jesus, baby Jesus, you got the manger, you got the shepherds, and you got the wise men. Well, according to the Bible, the shepherds weren't there. They weren't there the next day, and the next day after that, and the next day after that. In fact, it would be around about another year before the, before the wise men turn up. So, if you if you're looking for a, a subtitle to today's message, it is the, the wise guys. Any wise guys here? It's the wise guys. Okay, let's continue to sit. Let me. Oh, I just want to set the scene a bit more about this the Christmas story. The Romans pretty much conquered everyone. They conquered everyone except for one thorn in on their sides, and that's the Parthian Empire. The Parthian. they conquered everyone, but they didn't conquer the Parthian Empire. And if we look on this map, this is a picture of what the anci- of the ancient world, and, and, you, and you can see in the grey. The grey is the, the Roman Empire. They conquered pretty much everybody, but the one people they couldn't conquer was the Parthian Empire. And they and they would uh, the Romans would win battles, and the Parthians would win battles, would go back and forth. They couldn't conquer the, the, the old Persian Empire. The Parthian Empire, right? They just couldn't do it. They were the thorn in the sides. And, and, and if you notice on this map, you, you see this kind of brown bit. called the buffer zone, right? And, and this, is, this is Judah. Judah became the buffer state between the Roman Empire and the Parthians. They were the buffer state. And, and during this time, the, um, the Romans had set up a puppet king, King Herod. King Herod and, and, and he was a puppet king he, he, and he wasn't even Jewish which, which kind of which which drove the Jewish people crazy because you know they, 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 the Romans put in a king, a puppet king and they set him up, he wasn't even Jewish and, but he was, not, he was known as the builder, the builder king right? And he built all, he built all these things he, built, he rebuilt the temple, he built port cities, he, he built aqueducts, he was extraordinarily extraordinarily talented King Herod very talented. He, he was famous uh, for building great and, and marvelous things. He was known as the builder. Herod the builder. This is what he was known for. But he was also committed to his own control, right? To, his, to controlling the outcomes. He, he was committed to his building his own legacy. And he would execute anyone who came against them, including his children and his wives. He will set up one of his sons to take over, but then he'll start to do things he didn't agree with, so he had him executed. He'll bring in another son, and he'll get on the wrong side of Herod, so he'll have him executed. And he was like, hey, which, any, any one of my sons want to take over? All well, the other sons, oh, I don't, that's right, I'll wait, I'll wait till you die. <laughs> right? And, and this is the thing. King Herod was committed to building and, and protecting his own legacy. Protecting and controlling outcomes, outcomes, and this is what he was committed to. So when we get to the biblical narrative of the birth of Jesus, King Herod, he's about seventy years old. He's about seventy years old, and he's still trying to control his legacy. Seventy years old, but then he gets the most disturbing news imaginably. imaginable, imaginable. <laughs> and this is and this is where we, we this is where we take up in the Christmas story. So if you have got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter two. Verse one, and this is the Christmas story. So, so remember Herod the Great, Herod the Builder, 70 years old, but he wants to control, he loves to control outcomes. And then he hears the worst possible news possible. Verse one, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, King Herod the Builder, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one? Who has been called, who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why was all Jerusalem disturbed as well? King Herod was disturbed, but why was all Jerusalem disturbed as well? Knowing what we know about King Herod, he was very volatile, right? He was very volatile. So when King Herod is disturbed, all of Jerusalem is disturbed. They have no idea what King Herod is going to do next. But who were these Magi's? That, that They were so bold, and they basically insulted King Herod. They were so bold. They, you know, that, you know, knowing what we know about King Herod, nobody would come up to King Herod and say what these Magi's said to him. Nobody would dare to do it, but yet these Magi's were bold enough. In fact, they insulted him. They insulted him and said, you're not the real king. Who do you think you're just, you're just a puppet king? You, you're not the real king. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We want to see the real king. This is what they, they were insulting him. They weren't afraid of him. So who were these Magi's? Well, Magi's come from this Greek word, magian, which, which means wise men. And the, the Magi's, they traveled from the Parthian Empire. They were kingmakers. These the Magi's were king, but they were very powerful. In the Parthian Empire, the Magi's were very powerful. In fact, whenever a new Persian king came to power, they would choose who the next uh, Persian king would be. They were that powerful. They were the kingmakers. And so we kind of think we kind of think about the wise men. We think about these three guys. Sneaking into Jerusalem. And, and we have this kind of picture. This is take, Have a look at this, this image that we have here. We kind of think this, right? These three wise men, you know, very mild, very humble, very quiet, and they're just riding in on their donkeys, riding, sneaking into Jerusalem. We kind of have this picture. But, but it doesn't match what we read in Scripture. This is what, what was more likely what it looked like in, in this next picture. So this is what the wise men, what the Magi would have looked like. These magis, they didn't just come by themselves. They more than likely came with a caravan of soldiers, Parthian soldiers, to protect them. So when these guys rolled in, they didn't just just sneak. They rolled in with an army, right? And they, were, they They rolled straight up to the palace to King Herod and it says, "Hey, you, 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 you call yourself the king? You are not the king. We're looking for the real king, right? And 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 this." Not only disturbed King Herod, but it disturbed all of Jerusalem. Because people started to wonder, Oh my goodness, is there, is there another war? Is there going to be another battle? Are we going to be stuck between the Romans and the Parthians and battle again? Right? They, they, they're, they're, trying to, they're trying to think, what's happening, what's happening at this time? So this is what they look like. But how did the Magi's know that a divine king was about to be born? How did they know that a divine king was about to be born? Well, do you remember the book of Daniel? Does anybody remember the book? Well, you know, we've been, we've been studying the book of Daniel for the last, oh man, this is nearly two months now. You Remember the book of Daniel? About six centuries prior to this event, six centuries prior to this event, well, what happens? The Jews had been taken into captivity, had been exiled to Babylon, right, during this time. And there Daniel rose in prominence, and he became chief of all the Magi. Right? This is what we what we read in the book of Daniel. He becomes chief of all the Magi. The Persians come, they conquer Babylon, but Daniel still has this, this place of prominence well, even amongst the Persian, right? And, and many scholars believe that that, that Daniel set, that, that Daniel set in motion a messianic prophecy to announce in due time by star the birth of this divine king. That Daniel had set it in motion. And these Magi have been watching the stars, looking at the constellations, looking for the right time for when this divine king that Daniel had set in place. This is, again, we, you can't prove this, but this is assumptions looking in Scripture, right? Just assumptions looking in Scripture. This is, this is all that it is, assumptions looking in Scriptures. And you know what's really good? If you want to interpret Scripture, the best way to interpret Scripture is let Scripture interpret itself. The script interpret itself. So this is, and so this is what some scholars believe. This is what some scholars believe. So here we go. Let's go back to the story. Verse 4. When he had called together all the people's chiefs, priests and teachers of the law, this is Herod, calling together, he called them all together, he asked them Where's the, where the Messiah was to be born. So whenever you get called before King Herod, you will tremble. Right? I mean, King Herod had killed so many rabbis that rabbis rarely ventured into Jerusalem, right? Because they often were killed by King Herod, right? Because he liked to control outcomes. Verse Verse 5 And in Bethlehem, in Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no, no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. See, this is the worst news that King Herod would ever ever hear. and There's "There's another king? But I'm the king. I'm the king. I want to control the outcomes. It's about protecting me. It's about protecting my outcomes. Does this ever sound familiar for some of us? Right, we want to control. I want to control. I want to control my own budget. I want to control my own marriage. And, and even though it's crumbling down, and no matter what anybody says, I can still control the outcomes. I, can still, I, well, I don't have a drinking problem. I don't have a gambling problem. I can still control the outcomes. I don't have a problem with lust. I don't have a problem with all these things. We try to control the outcomes. And, and if we don't seek help, we're going to end up the same way King Herod ended up, trying to keep, control outcomes. And in the end, in the end, it's what kills him. Here we go. Verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. Go. You guys, you guys go. Search carefully, right? He's just being nice and polite. He doesn't want to have a war. He's been, placed, he's been placed there by the Romans. Why? To keep the peace. Last thing he wants to do is, is, is engage in a war with the Parthians. You guys go, go and search carefully for the child as soon as you find him. Report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Isn't that so nice of King Herod? You're right. (laughs) After that, that they heard the king. They went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them and it stopped over the place where the child was. Which is quite a supernatural star, if you think about it. And, and, And many scholars believe that That the star is an angel, and and here's the thing. We also also notice in this passage, right? What does it say? Go back to verse nine. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the what does it say? That where where the baby was? What does it say? Well, where a child, where the child was, right? Jesus was a child. He was a toddler. He wasn't a baby. He he had already been born. He was he had already been born at least a year. A year later, they're looking for a toddler king, is what they're looking for. It wasn't a baby, and in Greek, it's the word for toddler, right? It's not a baby, but it's a toddler. Okay, verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And some scholars, they believe that this star is an angel, right? Because often the Bible describes angels as stars. They describe the angels as stars. And what's really interesting is that, that's that only, uh, only the Magi were able to, to see them and, and it moved and it stopped above them and they kind of believe. And, 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 and the angels are heavily involved in the birth in the birth narrative of Jesus, right? When we read the angels all over it. But however, there, uh, there, um, there's another scholar by the name of Dr. Ernest Al Martin. Okay? Everybody say Dr. Ernest Al Martin. Just say Martin. You want to say Martin. Martin. Right? According to Dr. Martin, right? He, he, had a, he had a theory based on assumptions around Revelations chapter 12, verse 1 to 7. Which chapter 12, verse 1 to 7, if you ever read Revelations chapter 1 to verse 7, it's the, it's the Christmas story in the book of Revelations. It's the Christmas story. Well, it's, it's kind of the Christmas story in the book of Revelations. Right? It describes the birth of Jesus. Martin believed that Revelation chapter 12 verse 1 to 5 is a description of the constellations. This is what he believed. Description of the constellations. The Jewish zodiac and I've got a picture of the Jew- Jewish zodiac. Here we have this is a Jewish zodiac, right? The Same console, it's the constellations in the sky. When, when the ancient people looked up, they saw the constellation and and, and, the, and and they and they assigned names to these constellations. Now, the Jewish this this Jewish zodiac is a is was located in an ancient Jewish synagogue. This is from a, from a Jewish synagogue. Um, and the Jewish, the Jewish viewed the Zodiac far differently to the pagans, right? And, and the way the pagans viewed the Zodiac is very similar to how we view, the, if you read the horoscopes, which, you, which I advise you not to, is how you would today would read the horoscope, And they kind of they believe that the, the, the meaning of when you're born that determines what's going to happen in your life. Right now, for the Jewish people, they didn't believe that at all because stars don't determine when what's going to happen in your life. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. In fact, they believe that all the zodiac did was kind of displayed what God was up to. They were just stars. Why are you worshiping the stars? We worship the one who created the stars. And all this is is showing us God's wonder, shows what God is up to, when to have, uh, when to when to plant the field, when to not to plant the field, when, uh, when to have our feast, when not to have our feast. That's all the zodiacs we, we're there for. We're just symbols of when to have feast not. and not. This is how they viewed it, very different to the pagans. And so, according to Martin, he took this information from from um, Revelation chapter, chapter 12, verse 1 to 7. Let's have a read of Revelation chapter 12, 1 to 7, and this is the Christmas story. <clears throat> a great sign appeared in the heavens. All right, so this is for, for Barton. This was the sign. Oh, he's talking about the constellations. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain, as she was about to give birth, then another sign appeared in heaven: an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, with seven crowns on its, on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And uh, notice, this isn't this isn't the Bible saying that the devil convince a third of the angels to follow him. This does not say that. This is where people get it from, but it is not actually what it, the Scripture does say. It's more the other way. It, it knocks out a third, those who, who worship God, those who followed him. Anyway, this is a side note. It, its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman, right, who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Okay, this is talking about the birth of Jesus, right? She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations and with an iron scepter. This is this this is quoting Psalms chapter two, which is a messianic prophecy of Jesus, of the Messiah, right? Who rules with an iron scepter. So this is this is a messian. This is taken straight out of Psalms chapter two, and the child was snatched up to God and to His throne. What's that describing? That's describing Jesus, his, Jesus' resurrection and his ascension into heaven. Right? This is what. So, there, so basically, Revelation 1 to seven is as a summary of Jesus, right? His birth and him his ascension into heaven. And this is this is and so. And so, what Martin does, he takes this, this image this from, from verse one. He takes this information verse one: a woman clothed with this, a woman clothed with the sun. With the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head, and remember, twelve represents Israel. Joseph has a dream, right? And the sons of Jacob, sons of the sons of Israel, were stars, represent the stars. And there's also the star, the moon, and so there's Israel. So, so he takes us, so Martin does, and he, and, he, and he takes a view from Israel, looking up into the sky. Takes the information from verse one and he puts it into an astronomy program, and if you're an astronomer, you put these details in. And this is what he came up. With, which is interesting, it's fascinating. And this, again, these are just assumptions, but it's fascinating and, and it's full of coincidences. Okay? So this is so take a look at this image. We, now this is the image. Now, if you look at this image, you see this kind of this ecliptic line, and this is this is what astronomers will use to track the constellations. Right, constellations, and this is the view looking from Israel. And so what do we have in this picture? We have we have you can see the moon and there's the sun, right? The moon and the sun. Now what constellation when the sun's in the in the middle of this constellation, what is that constellation? It's the virgin, it's Virgo, right? When the sun is in the middle of Virgo and the moon is below Virgo's feet. And now, when that happens, when that, when, when, when that happens, can you notice what's above Virgo? There's, there's, the, uh, there's Jupiter and Regulus, right? Jupiter and Regulus. Just above, you probably can't see it, or maybe you can, who knows, but if you need my notes, I'll just send it to you. Regulus and Jupiter. Now, Regulus and Jupiter is not in Revelation chapter 12, but what's really interesting is that when, you, when a has put these details in, when we've got the sun in the middle of Virgo and the moon beneath Virgo, when they put this detail in, what they find is the star Regulus and the planet Jupiter, they overlap. They become one bright star. They overlap. Now, what do we know about Jupiter? Both Jupiter and Regulus were assigned to kingship. They're both assigned to kingship. Why? Because Jupiter was known as the king planet. Why was it known as the king planet? Because it's the biggest planet. But Regulus was also known as the king star. Why was it known as the king star? Because it was the brightest star. So when, uh, so it was real. Martin found this really interesting. When when you put these details into astronomy program, the Regulus and Jupiter overlap, overlap, which is fascinating, which is very fascinating. What's really interesting is that Martin believes. That when Regulus and Jupiter overlap, becomes that star. He believes this is what the magi saw. Again, this is assumption. He believes this is what the magi saw. They looked up in the sky. They saw Jupiter, the king planet. They saw Regulus, the king star. And they saw it coming together, and it aligned, and it became one. And that's, that's, according to Martin, is what they made up in their mind. Ah, it's the sign, and they set it up their camels, and they headed to Jerusalem, looking for the king. This is what Martin believes. Right now, I'm just going to go to the stick figure. Hopefully, you can see this. We can to go to the next, next screen. The stick figure here's the stick figure. Uh, you probably can't see, see that well. If you can, and if you look at the stick figure, Virgo doesn't look as, as, uh, as, as beautiful as she did in the other one, <laughs> she looks like a stick figure. What's really interesting is that what what constellation is above Virgo? Will we find Regulus and we find Jupiter into What's in the middle of that? is It's a constellation, Leo, the lion. The lion. Now, for a Jewish person, what does what does the lion represent? It represents the tribe of Judah, right? Where the messianic king, where the messianic king is born, the lion of of of, um, of Judah. Which is really interesting. When when these stars align, the it finds itself smack bang in the middle of Leo, the lion. What's below Virgo? What, what, what's interesting is that you find Libra and Scorpio. Now, in the ancient world, Libra and Scorpio were one constellation. And, and Libra, L- Libra made the, the pincers of Scorpio. So when you look at some of these ancient drawings, you see this Scorpio with pincers, right? And that was, that's because they that made one. But was, what's was also fascinating is that, this, that the scorpion was also known as the dragon, right? So here we have the dragon ready to devour the woman. Now this is... and, this, and, and, and here's, here's another thing. When they put this happen, in order... Constellation, is, it's, it's connected to dates and times. So, when you put all these figures into astronomy program, right, in order for Regulus and Jupiter to align, the sun has to be in the middle of of Virgo and the moon has to be at the feet of Virgo and that, that happens but, when they, and, but that only happened only once in the history and they calculated the date and this is the date they came up with and according to Martin this was the date of when he believed Jesus was born and the date is September 11th 3 BC September 11th through again this is an assumption because we can't prove any of this, these things Right? Because no, we weren't actually there. No, the the Bible didn't tell tell us that when they when they looked up, they saw, all the Bible tells us they saw a star. That's all they saw. But it's just fascinating. It's just there's a whole bunch of coincidence. And what's really interesting, this date, September 11th, it falls on Tishri one. Tishri one. Tishri one is the Jewish New Year. It's the, it's, it's the it's the Jewish on the, um it's the day of trumpets the Jewish New Year. And it was also the day they inaugurated the new Davidic uh, king. Whenever a new king came in, that was the day they had their coronation. It just, fa- it just coincidentally falls on the same day. Why am I sharing this? I'm, just, I'm sharing this because it's quite interesting. It's just coincidences. But it's quite amazing how God moves. And it's just amazing. This is what it looked like in the sky. Whether Jesus was born on that day, nobody knows. The only way we can find out is when we see him face to face. And does it matter if we knew what day that Jesus was born? No, it doesn't really matter. But, really, well, but what matters is who was born on that day, and that is Jesus. And this is why we're here, and that's why people are gathering all around the world to celebrate and worship the birth of Jesus. I just thought I'd just throw in that piece of information. I thought it was fascinating as you begin to study and look at all these other biblical scholars, what they kind of come up with. So there we go. I just thought I'd just throw that in there. You can bring that out on a Christmas party one day about, hey, do you know about the constellations? Yeah, anyway. If you want my notes, I'm, I'm more than welcome to send you my notes. Okay, let's go back to Scripture. Let's go to what the Bible actually says, okay? Okay, remember that's just speculation, It's not gospel. Let's get back to the gospel. Here we go. Verse 11, on coming to the house, remember, at least a year had had been passed, right? And they weren't in the stable. They weren't still in the stables. They weren't still in the, in the their rock where they, where they put the animals. They were now in a house, right? They saw the child. Remember, it's a child, not a baby. They didn't say that. Is they, they saw the baby. They saw the child with his mother Mary. And they, I love this, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Remember the picture of the Parthians? Could you, could you show us that picture of the Parthian, the, the, the wise men coming in and the, these 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 powerful men with an army to back them and they come before this toddler and they bow down and they worship him. Why do they bow down and worship him? Because they bow down and worship of who they believed he was. That he was this divine king. And they came and they bowed before him. They they bowed the knee before the king of of king. And they dropped to the knees and they worshipped him. Let's carry on the verse. Then they opened their treasure and presented with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country, but another route. It's really interesting that eight kilometers away is King Herod. He's anxious. He's like, Have you seen those wise guys? Have you seen those wise guys? Has anybody seen them? They're hard to miss. They've got a whole army with them. Have you guys seen them? Because he's so consumed with control. Have you ever been consumed with control? You're trying to control your family, control your wife, your husband, control your kids, trying to control your workmates. Have you ever been consumed with control? And with his fist clenched, He's not going to bow his knee to anyone. See, we don't mind making ultimatums with God, right? God, if you do this for me, then I'll bow my knee. God, if you do that, I'll bow my knee. But until you do that, I won't bow my knee because to surrender my life, it doesn't come natural. To surrender our lives don't come natural because we want to control. We want to redefine what is good and evil in our own eyes. But to surrender that doesn't come natural. Realized that he had been duped, that he had been outwitted by the Magi. He was furious. And knowing what we know about King Herod, when King Herod got mad, people died. And he gave the order that many of us will find sickening. He gave the order that, that no one will think anyone will give an order like this. And he's like, well, if you, if you won't tell me where he is, if you won't bring me the one, the Bible goes on saying he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity, not just in Bethlehem. But you know what? I'm going to opt for the nuclear option. If you won't tell me where, who, who this one is, I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to kill them all in Bethlehem and all those around. And if they're boy or girl, I don't, if they look like a boy, it doesn't matter. And they killed all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under. Just want to cover all the bases. I know he's a toddler. Let's do two years and under. Let's just make sure we don't miss any. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. But well here's what happened, and probably the same year, King Herod died a painful death. He died a painful death because of a dreaded kidney disease. He was known as Herod the Great, who did so many amazing things. What's interesting is that Herod the Great became just a footnote in the story of Jesus the toddler. Can you imagine explaining that to him on his deathbed? Can you imagine saying that to him? Say, hey, look, Herod, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. Here's the thing. In about 2,000 years from now, people will be telling the story about you. In fact, all over the world and languages still not spoken yet. In countries not discovered yet, people are going to gather and read stories and read about you. But here's the bad news, Herod. You're just the B character. You're just a footnote of a toddler who became king, who became the saviour of the world. And people won't talk about what you built. People won't talk about the aqueducts or the seaports You won't be known in most circles as Herod the Builder, but you'll be known as Herod the Butcher. Here's the thing. What story do you want told? What do you want people to remember you by when you leave this face of the earth? You know, um, even in our service, uh, even on our stream team we've got Mike who's running in and we've got Justin who's doing a sound and Mike lost his mother Justin lost obviously Justin's grandmother went to be with Jesus yesterday right and we are just talking about this morning that he, that he was like come on I, I need to go because they're having the birthday party tomorrow and I, I need to be there right and, and Michael was sharing to me about her story and about how, how um, when she became a Christian, she started running these, these, these um, um, what do they call them, children's um, groups or things like this. And, and started running. and then there was this, this young boy. And she, she didn't know much, and she's just she was passionate about Jesus. She, and this young boy came to know Jesus. Today, he became her pastor, this young boy. See, what stories will you be known of? someone who clenched their fist and I'm going to control the outcomes, I'm not going to bow my knees to anyone, or someone who bowed the knees to the King of Kings. See, wise people still search for a saviour. You can try and hold on to control, you can try your best to control the outcomes. Will your life be a story of resistance or will will you take a cue from the wise men, from these wise guys? My younger brother, I've got my youngest brother on my mum's side. I'm 19 years older than him. I've shared this story before, but I, I thought the story fit for where we're going in this message. And, and, and I'm 19 years older than him, and he has a different dad. Um, and um, anyway, just a couple years ago, he rings me out of the blue. He's now like maybe 25. I don't know. can't remember. Maybe 24. 20. Well, he's 27 now. But anyway, he was thinking it was 20. Maybe he was 20. Me out of the blue, and he just says to me, and he's and he's and he he never calls me. He's he's very introverted. And um, what's really interesting is that when when he was growing up at the age of five, he loses his father to cancer. So I kind of take him under my wings during that time and I'll teach him about Jesus and tell him the stories and how Jesus loves him. And when he was about nine years of age, I we moved to Hamilton. Right? My, My little brother he grew up in South Auckland without a support around him. And he ended up in the wrong circles, and he ended up in trouble with the police, and he ended up um, getting into all sorts of fights and all sorts of things, and it got really bad for him. And I uh, praise God today that he's married, he's got three beautiful children, three beautiful children, three beautiful children, and he's doing well. But he rings me out of the blue a couple, a couple, a couple years ago, and, he, and, he, and he never, he's very introverted, doesn't talk much, and he never calls me. So I'm thinking, what's going on? Did you have a fight with mom? What's going on? <laughs> you know? And he's, he's got this desperation in his voice. And he says, he says, my sister, my sister, she's in her 60s and she's got cancer. And I, I went to her and I, I tried to tell her about Jesus because I remember you told me about Jesus. And, I went to, and she said that she doesn't want anything to do with God. God has never been in her life and he doesn't want anything to do with God. I still want to control the outcomes but now she's just had a stroke and we've been told she hasn't got long to live and, and, I'm, so, I'm, and I'm so desperate for her to know Jesus and I'm freaking out here because I'm thinking to myself, whoa, you're this guy that got into trouble, that got into fights and got in trouble with the police and you became the street fighter and all this kind of stuff going on in your life. and now you want to tell your sister about Jesus? And I was like, what's going on here? And I, and I said to him, okay, this is really important. He goes, what's that prayer? <laughs> what's that magic prayer that you say? to give your heart to Jesus. I said, look, you need to understand. It's not about the words we say, but it, it has to be a decision point in their heart. She has to really believe. She has to really surrender her life. She has to bow her knees to Jesus. It's not about what words we say. We don't, it's, it's, it's something happens in your heart. But, but here it is, and I, and I just Googled something, the prayer, and I just Googled, I, I was thinking about copy-paste and I sent it to them. Anyway, I get a phone call later on. And my brother, he's excited. He goes, she said that prayer. She said that prayer. And I was going, "What? what slow down, what happened? And she said, I arrived to the hospital and, and everyone was there. And I said to her, can I pray for her? And she can't talk because of, of the stroke. She can't talk. She nods her head and everyone in the room leaves the room because they're not Christians. And, and, I, and, he, and he goes on. He tells me, he goes, I went to her and I said to her, do you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And she nods her head. And then this is what he says: Look, it has to be a decision in your heart. You have to surrender your life to Him. You can't just say these words. You know, he's, he's saying these things back to him, and she's just nods her head. And then he says to her, without thinking, "Repeat after me, because this is what I said to him." She can't talk. She's got a stroke. She said, he says to her, "Repeat after me, because he's just following the script that I said." And he begins to say the prayer. And this is what amazes me. This is what he told me. He goes, guess what? She said the words, word for word. Word for word. Later that week, she's up with Jesus. At her funeral, that week. She began to write poetry and, and they placed it on her handout for the funeral. And I got this hand and I began to read it and, I, and I'm reading these poetry and it's about the heart of God and how much He loves us. He loves you just as you are. And I'm reading and I was thinking, you would think that she would know Scripture for the way, and I was saying she had a God encounter. See, so at the end of the day, it's, it's not about, the Bible's important, but it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. What are you going to do? Are you going to try to control the outcome? Is your life going to be a story of resistance? Or is it going to be a story of you bowing your knees? Saying, God, I'm not going to try to redefine what's good and evil in my life. I'm going to surrender my life to you. And Lord, you can define for me what is good and evil. And I surrender my life to you. Because wise people still search for a saviour. Come on, let us pray.